0: All right. Hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Radio Life, and I have the opportunity to come and hang out with you today and bring God's word. We are in our series, Move to More. And over the course of this series, we are looking at the idea that, while every single one of us who is following Jesus comes into that relationship through belief, through putting our faith in Jesus, we can't just stop at belief. We come into that relationship, we believe, but then unfortunately, some of us kind of, we, we check out after that. But that would be like if you went and you bought a plane ticket to Hawaii. You said, you know what, I'm gonna go to Hawaii, it's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be beautiful. You get your plane ticket, but then you never get on the plane. But a lot of us do that in our walk with Jesus. We get the ticket, we come into that relationship, but then we just kind of hang out there. And we're saying, hey, let's get on the plane and move. We're looking at this idea that we, we should move from being just a believer to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. There's a pastor named John Mark Comer. He uses the word apprentice. And we should be an apprentice of Jesus. What does an apprentice do? Right? They watch the master at their craft or at their trade And over time, they they start to participate a little bit. But eventually, they will be able to carry out those things to the same level of effectiveness as the master does. So we are called to be an apprentice, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And the characteristic that we want to unpack a little bit today as we look at what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus is this. We want to be just and generous. Just and generous. Woven all throughout Scripture, you see these themes play out. In Micah 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Right? And you've got a couple of aspects. We might think of justice from uh, the standpoint of we punish the guilty. And that is absolutely one aspect of justice as we see it in a biblical sense. But there's also this element of uh, coming along and caring for the vulnerable, of looking after the poor. I mean, all throughout scripture, you see we're called to care for the widow, the orphan, uh, the foreigner, the needy, all of these things. You you can't read scripture and get away from that. You would have to chop out uh, an incredible amount of your Bible to not think that God cares about the poor, the needy, the vulnerable. In Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, it says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And that's that move to more that we want to talk about today, that idea that as a disciple we are called to be just and generous. And as Pastor Ryan unpacked last week as he kicked off this series, every week we'll kind of look at what some of the characteristics of a believer and compare that to some of the characteristics of a disciple, and then try to give you some practical steps to start to make moves towards the disciple side. So as we try to get a picture of what it looks like to be a believer, I want us to turn to the book of Luke. The words for this will not be on the screen, I'm sorry. Uh, So if you're here and you've got a Bible or you've got a phone, you've got a tablet, whatever you uh, engage with God's word on, uh, if you've got that with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. If you're joining us online, uh, you can open another browser window, go to blueletterbible.org or whatever you use to engage with God's word. We're going to read a section of Luke chapter 18 and start to paint a picture of this, the characteristics of a believer. We read this starting in verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me when the man heard this, he went away sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? Pause. In their culture, having wealth, having material possessions was viewed as something that signified the blessing of God. If you're rich, God obviously favors you. But Jesus is saying, it's actually hard for somebody who's rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. And everyone's like, what? Wait, if the people who we look at as having the favor of God can't get into heaven, who in the world can get there? Jesus says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. If you were with us last week, Pastor Ryan talked about this idea that Jesus said, you have to hate your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. And Jesus didn't actually mean to hate. He's trying to paint a picture of how far apart, you know, our love for Jesus should be so high that it looks like we hate everything else by comparison. And we see a little bit of that theme here as well. But as we look at this narrative of this this religious leader or this, maybe your translation says rich young ruler, we start to get a little bit of a, a, a peek at what a believer might be. Because here's the thing, this was not a, some, You know, gangster who walked off the street after shooting a couple of people and saying hey Jesus what do I have to do to inherit eternal life this is a religious leader this is somebody who has kept the commandments they are doing all of the right things I'm following the law what more is there and Jesus calls him to more and he goes away sad because he draws the line there so what are some characteristics of a believer that we can start to put together the first one is this. You have somebody who holds on, right? You, they, they've got a grip on things. The second thing is this. They give sparingly, and they have a reservoir mentality. When I say a reservoir mentality, right, what does a reservoir do? It collects now, sure, in real, in real life, reservoirs, they serve a, a great purpose. there would be a lot of thirsty people in California and a lot of really nasty lawns in California without some reservoirs, right? But when it comes to being a believer, this is, you know, last week, Pastor Ryan talked about consumer Christianity. We're just here to, to take it all in. We take it in, we take it in, we take it in. When it comes to resources, and when we say resources, we're not just talking about money, in here at Radiant Life, we usually talk about time, talent, and treasure. I thought, what a better way to kind of represent all of our worldly possessions and our time and our talent than candy. So when you, when you look at the life of a believer, though, right, this is somebody, you know, if they, they're holding on, right? They give sparingly. And they have that reservoir mentality. Or as we could sum up by reading this uh, account of the rich young ruler, they have this mentality that what's mine is mine. Now hear this, right? This guy, there's really good chances that he was engaged in giving things to the poor. As a devout follower of the Torah, right? The law of Moses, he would give to the poor, He's doing those things, but that's why I said we use this you know, word sparingly, because it'd be like it'd be like me saying, you know what? Um, I've got all these resources, all my time, all my talent, all my treasure. I don't know if I really like that one. You know, I'm gonna I'll give I'll give that one. That's cool. But the rest of this, that's I'm gonna keep that for me. That is the mentality of a believer. Now let's look at the other side and we're going to take a look at a passage in Luke, a little bit earlier on in Luke. And this is going to be Luke chapter 10. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles or on your phones, on your tablets, on your desktop computers, for those of you who join us online, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 10. And we read another interaction between Jesus And somebody connected with Judaism. And we're gonna, we'll see what we can pull away from this one. Starting in verse 25, it says this in Luke chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? There are a lot of people asking Jesus, What do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, Very much the same way he did with the the rich young ruler. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Pause. This guy had probably been hanging out for a while, and he, he came and he thought he was gonna get bonus points with Jesus, right? Because earlier... When a different religious leader asked Jesus a question, trying to kind of get him in trouble, he says, he says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Again, we know of the, the, the big 10, the 10 commandments, but they had 613 laws, all said and done, that they followed. And so you have, have somebody come and say, Jesus, out of all the laws, which one is the greatest? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. The second second is like it, not meaning it's similar, I mean it's of, of equal weight. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. This guy must have been paying attention. So he comes, he's like, Ha ha! Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. So at this point, this, really, this guy's probably like, oh, ha-ha, it's good. Do this and you will live but the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we don't know what actions he was trying to justify, but he pushes in a little bit more. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Let's pause there a moment, right? He's, Jesus is having this conversation and he's basically, saying, hey, what does the law require of you? He's using this to set up, you know, how do you inherit eternal life? And now we read this account of a priest and a temple assistant, which would be kind of their equivalent of a, a modern-day pastor, and we read that, well, they, they saw the guy and they crossed over to the other side, and we think, well, that's kind of a jerk move, but really, I mean, according to their law, especially for a priest, right, you don't touch, you don't touch a dead body. If you're involved in the worship process, you don't touch a dead body. And for all they know, man, this dude, if he's dead, I mean, I'm going to have to go live outside the camp for a week. I'm going to have to take 100 baths. Like This is, this is not going to be good. In a sense, they were doing what was right. But they let what was right get in the way of actually doing what was right. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. So in a sense, Jesus doesn't even answer his question because this guy trying to justify his action says, well, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to actually love? Jesus flips it and instead tells this guy what it means to be a good neighbor. And by implication that we are called to be a neighbor to all. It puts the weight on us as to how we interact with other people. And from this, we can start to piece together, well, if I live into the calling of Jesus on my life when it comes to being just and generous, what are some characteristics of what that looks like? And one of them is you let go. We see this Samaritan man, right? And it's very important that Jew- you, know, you have a Jewish man traveling. He's beat up and a Samaritan man comes along. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. The audience listening to Jesus would not have appreciated this character in the story. They probably would have thought or preferred that the Samaritan be the one that had beat the guy up and left him for dead because that's about what they thought of each other. But you have this Samaritan man who lets go of whatever social norms would be in the way. He let go of the prejudice that he might have towards this guy. Instead, he's filled with compassion. He steps in, and he provides care for this Jewish man lying half dead on the road. Disciples give sacrificially. There's an account in the Gospels where we we get a, uh, there's a narrative, and it talks about the kind of giving that impresses Jesus. Jesus is hanging out outside the temple with his disciples, and they're watching his people bring their gifts into the temple. This guy who brings bags full of money and he tosses them in there. And then it, it, scripture tells us that a widow came along and she puts in two pennies. She puts those two pennies in and Jesus says, she gets it. Jesus says, this guy, he gave out of his abundance, but this widow gave everything she had to live on. That was the kind of giving, that sacrificial giving, that is what impressed Jesus. And finally, disciples have a river mentality. What does a river do? A river flows, and it's always looking for ways it can go up outside the banks. And we can sum that up by saying, as we read this account of the Good Samaritan, what's mine is yours, and I will share it. So when it comes time to looking at our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure, to live into the calling of a disciple, this is where we start to throw things at Chase, and we start to throw things at Marsha, and Johnny, and Chloe, and we throw some over there to Cohen, and Dylan. Sorry, that was a crappy toss, Dylan. I think am sorry, right? And we, we're going we're gonna to give, and we're going to give. And I'm going to try not to hit anybody in the face with this stuff. So to that end, I should probably just get off the stage, right? So we're going to bring one of those to Steph, and right? We're going to bring one over here. You like M&Ms? There you go. Long bomb? There you go. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just hit you with a pack of gum. That's not. They're gonna. They're gonna cut my pay for that. All right. We got a Snickers. We got a Snickers. We got m and Oh, she stole that from you, Steve. Right there, Aaron. Oh, there we go. Matt, right there. Oh, I was going for you, Camden. There you go. But we say, what's mine is yours. I will share it. This mentality, this reservoir mentality collects. It holds on to. When we live into that characteristic of a disciple, and yes, I'm totally out of breath because I need to work out or something. <laughs> Quick, somebody singing an impromptu song so I can do some deep breathing. I don't care what song it is, just go. Um, somebody online, sing a song for me. <laughs> They're letting me down in the room here. Dennis Rouse, who's a pastor, says this. We know our hearts are being transformed. Again, we're talking about making moves. We're talking about taking steps towards change. Right? We know that Holy Spirit will transform the way we live our lives. We know our hearts are being transformed when our thought process changes from how much can I keep and spend on myself to how much can I give away. That is the move that we want to make. And it's our goal each week to give you some practical steps to actually evaluate which side of that line am I on? Am I more on the side of believer? Which, again, there's no judgment. We all start here. But to start to evaluate and ask the questions, am I taking steps in this direction? We want to give you practical tools to be able to do that. Now, my recommendation is because this is a 10-part series, you're going to have a whole lot of things thrown at you over the course of the series. Each week, maybe pick one thing. Jot stuff down. If you're not a note taker, it's all right. Take a picture of the screen with your phone, do whatever. But let Holy Spirit in and say, hey, Holy Spirit, where do you want to work in my life? What do you want to do when it comes to this particular move? And then go forward. So I want to give you four moves, four tools that you can use to kind of evaluate. And the first one is, is prioritize generosity. Here's what I mean by this. Matthew six thirty three says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Maybe your translation says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Prioritize generosity. When we put the priorities of Jesus first, when we pursue Jesus first, First, he takes care of the rest. It sounds simple, and in one sense it is. Difficult to implement, but the principle is easy. Pursue Jesus first, he will take care of the rest. Pursue Jesus first, and he will take care of the rest. There's a guy named Ron Blue uh, this past January. I had COVID, so I was quarantined for a bit. I had extra reading time, which is actually, that that was all right. But Ron Blue wrote a book called Never Enough, this is, this is about finances, but I think we can take this principle and apply it to a, a broader area. But he says, since giving is the most powerful and eternally important thing we can do with our money or our time or our talents, we are wise when we prioritize it first in our spending. What might that look like? I don't know if you budget or not. If you don't, I recommend it, right? We're called to be stewards of the things that we have, and budgeting is a really helpful way to do that. But how many of us, when we budget, you know, we say, all right, hey, well, we've got to you know, pay the rent, and that's good. You should pay your rent, right? I mean, we've got we've to pay the bills. We've got this, that, that, and the other thing. Well, hey, at the end of the month, if I've got a little bit left, maybe I'll chuck it in the offering plate. Maybe I'll send it to this organization over here that I've got a passion for. We'll see if I've got anything left. And that's the way we approach our giving. What if you flipped that? And what if when you create your budget, the things that Holy Spirit has laid on your heart, to do with your money, you actually budget that first. Amen. And you say, hey, before I do anything else, I'm going to bring back to God what is his. I'm going I'm to sew into the organizations or the, or the groups that I have a passion for and that are, are you know, impacting people in a positive way. You budget that first. And then you do the rest after that. You say, well, yeah, but what if I don't have money left over for you fill in the blank? That's where we talk about giving sacrificially. All right, and again, not, not to the point where you can't pay your rent. Like, I'm not saying, that. not saying that. Not to the point where you don't have electricity in your house or water. Not saying that. But sometimes we have things that we utilize our resources for that aren't essential. And maybe, maybe we do have to sacrifice some of those things. I don't wrestle with Holy Spirit on that. When it comes to your time... What would it look like if you set your calendar for the week or the month and you build into it some margin? I think so many of us are so busy we bounce from this thing to that thing to the other thing and the next thing. So if your friend, your neighbor, your brother, a complete stranger comes to you and says, hey, can you help me move a couch? We say, "Uh, you know, if it's going to take more than two minutes and 37 seconds, no, I cannot. And we go about our day. And we bounce like that. We have we have very little to no margin in our life. What would it look like if as you create your schedule for the week, you build margin into your week? In the event somebody does come and say, Hey, I really need to have somebody help me move this couch, or hey man, I just I'm going through a tough time. You got four hours to sit and talk over coffee? Do we have enough margin in our lives to allow for that? If you've been coming to Radiant Life for a while, you've probably heard us refer to an Oikos list, right? Out in the lobby at our little information shelf deal, we've got these Oikos cards. And on these cards, we encourage you to write down, you know, 10 people that you know that don't know Jesus. You pray for these people. You invest in these people's lives. Not, you're not knocking on their door every day to ask them if they want to accept Jesus into their life. This is just doing life with people and being intentional about how you engage the people in your sphere of influence. What if as you create your schedule for the week, you say, hey, you know what? I want to make sure this week I'm going to schedule time to connect with some people in my oikos. And for those of you that are just thinking, why are we talking about yogurt? It's actually a Greek word that means household. Uh, Yeah, there you go. So if you... (laughs) Yeah, you're going, Why are we sharing yogurt? That doesn't sound COVID-appropriate. Uh, don't share your yogurt, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I don't. Whatever. I don't care. I'll share yogurt with any of y'all in this room. I don't even care. There I say, <laughs> or online if you come here and bring yogurt. Um, anyways, there we go. <laughs> Prioritize generosity with your time, your talent, your treasure. The next move is to loosen your grip. But sometimes we've got such a grip on things, right, that even if Holy Spirit asks us to do something with it, we're holding on too tightly. And we don't. We don't let go. What would you do if Holy Spirit whispered to you? He said, hey, you see that family over there? I want want you to give them your car. This car that I drive to work every day, Lord? Yeah. Yeah, that one. I want you to give that to that family over there. What would you do? What if Holy Spirit said, hey, uh, that homeless couple that you saw walking down the side of the road, I want you to invite them into your home. I want you to do life with them, help them get things back on track in their life. Like my home, the house that I live in, Lord, you want me to, yeah. Yeah. What would you do? How tight is your grip on things? For if Holy Spirit says, hey, here's what I want you to do, would we do it? Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? Lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What happens, and again, this is not a trick question. Uh, the nine o'clock service, I think, thought this was a trick question, because <laughs> they all just said, like, uh. What happens to somebody when they're crucified? They die. They die. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You guys are, whew, this is good. <laughs> they, they die. How much time or money does a dead person use? None. My old self has been crucified. My self is dead. It is Jesus who lives in me. So if it's Jesus living in me, if Jesus is the one at the wheel of my life, it's not really my stuff. It's not my time. It's not my money. These talents aren't mine. But they're his. Dennis Rouse, again, he says, if we call Jesus Lord, which in week one, Pastor Ryan talked about that. Believers, we love the idea of Jesus as our Savior. We want to be saved. We want eternity with him. We love him as Savior, but disciples serve him as Lord. Lord means master. If we call Jesus Lord, we're saying our possessions aren't our own. Our time isn't our own. Our resources aren't our own. Our talents aren't our own. Our lives aren't our own. Maybe a move for you this week is to start to loosen your grip. You know, I had the opportunity growing up. Uh, my dad, who's here, he's been here for the last couple of services. He retired this past Friday, right, from, uh, yeah, yeah, we can, that's, that's all right. He retired this past Friday from over two decades serving as the director of a food pantry, right? This is something that actually started in my parents' basement when I was was a kid, right? And and I don't know if you knew this or not, but nobody ever says, you know what? I want to make a boatload of money. I'm going to be the director of a food pantry. (laughs) Like, no... Just in case you're wondering, students, if you're looking for life goals and one of them is rich, food pantry director, probably not your, <laughs> probably not your best course. there. But here's the thing. So all throughout my teenage years, my, my parents ran this food pantry, right? And it was so cool. I never knew, I, don't, I, have, I still don't even know how much money he got paid. But guess what? When you work for a ministry that is dependent on donations, they pay the rent before they pay the director. They pay the light bill before they pay the director. So I don't, know, I don't know what the financial picture was, but I never felt as if we were in need because there were people around us who lived into this, right? The number of times where our vehicle would be on the fritz and somebody would show up and say, hey, I've got a van for you. Hey, we've got a car for you. Hey, we've got this for you. I never felt like there was a need because God showed up in super cool ways. How did he do that? He did that through people who had a loose enough grip on their resources to where when Holy Spirit says, hey, here's what I want you to do, they said, okay. They lived into that. Maybe we need to loosen our grip on our things. Having things is not bad. Again, I am not saying that you know, we, we're more spiritual because we're poor than if we're wealthy. That's not what I'm saying. If you walk out the door saying, oh, you know, Pastor Josh said it's bad to have money. No, it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. So maybe we need to start to loosen our grip. The next move is this. Get to know your neighbors and their needs. 1 John 3, 16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Those are challenging words. If you have the means to live well, see somebody in need, but have no compassion, how can the love of God be in you? And now some of us might be sitting here and say, hey, you know what? I 100% agree. And just as soon as I get the third car and I build that addition out of the house and I, I get the latest you know, motorcycle, I'll be living well, totally good to go show compassion on people. And again, this is not saying that. I'm not going after you. If you have three cars, a motorcycle, and a big house, that's that's not what I'm saying. But what we see in Scripture is is a a little bit different standard, maybe, for what it means to live well. Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy, says this. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. That sounds like a standard than what we think of as the American dream. Again, this isn't about not having things or having things, but the point is, I think a lot of us are better situated to help those around us than we might realize. If you look at a global scale, uh, the the lowest 10% of the population financially uh, they live on right around a dollar ninety a day. That's a little less than seven hundred dollars per year. The top ten percent live on a hundred and ninety dollars per day, which is right around seventy thousand dollars per year. So that's a that's a that's a pretty big gap. But and I don't say hey this isn't anything other than to say again maybe we're better situated than we thought we were to enact change. Right? I mean that's a that's a that's a pretty big difference. $1.90 to $190 a day. Here are some stats from our area. St. Joseph County, these numbers are uh, from U of M. Uh, I think think it's all fueled by uh, the Census Bureau. St. Joseph County, 13.6% of our population lives below the poverty level. The poverty level uh, is $26,500 for a family of four which is a family of four living on $70 a day, which is still a heck of a lot more than Um, $1.90. They report 13.1% of the uh, population in elementary age kids has experienced homelessness. Branch County, uh, we're looking at 14.5% below the poverty level. 16.5% of that elementary age population has experienced homelessness. And we think, well, hey, let's go check out our neighbors to the south. LaGrange County, Indiana... Uh, they're doing pretty good. Seven and a half percent in poverty. You think, well, sweet, they don't need any help. Well, apparently seven and a half percent is 3,000 people. So that's a lot of people living at or below the poverty level. And I bring all of this up to say this. There are people around us in need. And hear me, there are healthy ways to address poverty and there are unhealthy ways to address poverty. I'll mention a resource here uh, shortly. But the need is out there, and maybe you need to start to get to know your neighbors and their needs. A really cool tool here, uh, there's a book called The Art of Neighboring. You can go, you can get this chart on artofneighboring.com, artofneighboring.com. It says, who is my neighbor? They, they wrote this book, and they have this chart, and they come at it from the angle of, when Jesus said to love my neighbor, what if he actually meant to love my neighbor? Right, The people that live next door to you are across the street from you. So they, they created this chart, which kind of makes you feel like you're like some psycho murderer stalker kind of person uh, because you, you put yourself here in the center and then you jot down everything you don't want to be able to live around you, right? Like you don't want your neighbors to walk in and be like, what's the chart? Nothin', nothing, nothing, just, you know. But you, but you actually look, because here's the first question. Well, Pastor Ron and I had the opportunity to be part of a a group that went through this uh, in the context of outreach. And as I'm doing it, I was like, well, yeah, hey, you know, Ben and Monica are over there. But as I went through this, I'm like, there are neighbors that I don't know. There are people that live next door to me or across the street from me that I've never interacted with. What if Jesus wants me to love them too? So you put yourself in the middle and then you Fill it in a route. If you live out in the middle of the country and your only neighbors are chickens, uh, get creative uh, with, with how you do that. You know, I don't know. There's, there's no hard, fast rules. But maybe your move is to start to get to know your neighbors and their needs. The last move that I want to talk about here today is this. Maybe you need to check your heart. When this rich, young ruler comes to Jesus... Again, he's doing the right things. He's keeping the commandments. But Jesus said, there's one thing that is keeping you from inheriting eternal life. He says, sell your stuff. Jesus knew this guy's heart. Jesus knew that the thing that was a barrier to this guy living into everything God had for him were his possessions. So he says, move the thing that you are putting ahead of God and you will have eternal life. And the guy says, no, I I can't do that. Now, we might think that we're fine. You know, there's this passage here in uh, Colossians. that says, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. We might think, hey, idolatry, that's not a problem for me. I have zero little statues in my garage that I'm bowing down to every night. I haven't sacrificed a kid in at least a year. (laughs) Hopefully longer, like a lot longer like ever. Hopefully you've never sacrificed a child in any sort, yeah, just ever. But Paul says, greed, wanting more and wanting more, that pursuit of worldly things, that is idolatry. Anything that we put above Jesus, anything that gets in the way of us pursuing Jesus is an idol. So maybe when it comes to being just and generous, we have to check our heart to say, Lord, am I putting my time, am I putting my treasure, am I putting my talents before my pursuit of you? Brian Fickert and Kelly Capick wrote a book called Becoming Whole. Uh, Brian Fickert is a genius uh, when it comes to healthy ways to address poverty. Right? He wrote a book called When Helping Hurts. Uh, He's written a handful of other books, uh, but Becoming Whole is one of them. And in that book, he says this. When other people or the rest of creation encounters us, they encounter a reflection of whatever God we are worshiping, for we actually bear the likeness of that God. So maybe a way that we can check our heart is this. You go to five to 10 people that you interact with on a regular basis, coworkers, friends, and you say, hey, based on what you see of my life, based on what you see on my social media feed, what is most important to me? If you get an outsider's perspective based on the way you live your life, what God are you reflecting? If it's anything other than Jesus, maybe we've got some things we can do. So maybe your move is to check your heart. So for the next week, grab one of those, grab two of those, grab all four, it's totally up to you, but let Holy Spirit in. Holy Spirit will reveal to us the things that we need to do if we let him. Now, I'm a little bit of a, a geek, so I did make a resources slide for all y'all. If you want to grab a picture of that, I, re- I referenced a few of these. Uh, Never Enough is a book by Ron Blue. I referenced Ron earlier. Uh, he's, a, again, a kind of a biblical financial guru. Uh, reading that book uh, changed the way that I approach finances. Becoming Whole is the one that I mentioned by Fickert and Capick. Practicing the King's Economy. This is all about uh, honoring God in the way we spend, earn, save. Uh, it's connected with, with money. Oikonomics by Mike Breen and Ben Sternkey. This is a book that kind of takes the idea that there are multiple types of resources. They call it capitals. And he talks about a godly investment strategy. How do you leverage your intellectual capital, your physical capital, your relational capital to maximize your spiritual capital? So that's uh, Oikonomics by Mike Breen. And yes, Oiko, that's connected with household and not the yogurt. All right, The Art of Neighboring, I referenced this. This is with the Stalker Psycho-Murderer chart. Um, you can read their book, The Art of Neighboring. or Oh, this is recorded, I probably should uh, if, if Jay Pathak and Dave Running are watching, I, I know, if you're, you're, you're good, you're good. Um, but, or uh, artofneighboring.com is where you can go uh, for that chart as well. But as we close out our time here today, I wanna share a video with you of Jill Gunn. Jill is the director of Hope United, a ministry here in St. Joseph County. Uh, and Hope United exists to do a couple of things. They exist to bring churches together. They want to see disciples made. And as disciples are made, as we live into all that God has for us, the natural outflow of that will be exactly what we're talking about, that practical needs in our communities will be met. Right, And, and I was talking with Jill, uh, this was several months ago, and I knew this series was coming up, and I said, Jill, I said, she, we were just talking, conversation, I said, Jill, what you just said, I need to get that on video. Because that is so, so good. So I wanna, I wanna close out our time here by watching this video. Join me as we, we hear a little bit from Jill's story.
1: So my story is really one of an awakening that happened about 12 years ago when I was in a Sunday school class. In the Sunday school class, we were looking at a book study on discipleship uh, by Ray Vanderlaan. It was called In the Dust of the Rabbi. The gist of the book was that we would walk so closely uh, with Rabbi Yeshua that we'd be covered in the dust of his sandals. And that we would not only learn from him, but that we'd become like him in every way. God was really revealing two things to me through that study. Um, First, that to be called a disciple meant a full-out surrender of our lives. I would have told you at that time that I was living a life of surrender. um, And in essence, my life did look like one of surrender. Um, I'd always been fully engaged in Bible study um, and learning God's Word, fully engaged in my church. I was nursery director, VBS director, uh, taught junior high. Uh, was on worship team, uh, so my my life looked like one of full surrender, but I can tell you that there was elements that were missing. And the thing that God was showing me that I hadn't made his heart desires my desires. Um, I'd kind of taken my faith at that point and tacked it on to my lifestyle, but it hadn't become my whole life. Um, I wasn't really valuing the things that God valued. I was still caught up in valuing all the things of the world. Um, The bigger house, the nicer car, uh, you know, furthering my career, my kids being involved in every sport, those were still things that were of value to me that weren't of value to God. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing that he was really showing me that to be called a disciple meant that we live a life of sacrificial service on behalf of other people. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Um, Again, I had never really been involved in doing that. I had always given to missions, um, but to really serve people with my life had been something that, that was totally foreign to me. And God was showing me that that was his heart's desire, that we live sacrificial lives. That means giving of my time, my talents, and my resources as first fruits in my life. When I came to understand those two things, it changed my life. changed how I lived my life. Um, And I experienced a fullness of joy that I have never experienced before. So maybe your life looks somewhat like my life looked like. Um, Maybe you're not fully engaged in kingdom work. Um, I would challenge you, what are your gifts and your talents? How can you use what God's giving you for his kingdom work? That's when we'll be fully alive when we're using the gifts and talents and resources for God's kingdom work and not for building up our own lives.
0: That's when we'll be fully alive. When we take all of our resources and we leverage them in whatever way the Holy Spirit calls us to. Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. When we first read that, we might think, well, sweet, I want to follow Jesus, because then he's going to give me everything that I want. What that verse is saying is, as we pursue Jesus, the things that we want will be the things that Jesus wants. He transforms our desires to be in line with the heart of God. So are we a reservoir? Are we camped out over here? Are we a river? Which side of the line do you fall more on? It's not that there's, it's not bad to have a job. It's not bad to play sports. There are a lot of good things that we do, but if we put anything in front of Jesus, we're doing it wrong. Some of prayer prayers that over this week you would wrestle with that, evaluate, use some of the tools and start taking steps for the disciple side where we live lives that are characterized by being just and generous. Think of the impact in our community if every single one of us is a river looking to overflow the banks and bring the blessings God has given us to those around us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you Lord, your word talks about how much you give. Lord, and we can't outgive you. Lord, I just ask that, Lord, as we grapple with this over this next week, that you would show us what it looks like to be a river. Show us what it looks like to leverage the resources we have to build your kingdom, not our kingdom's. And Lord, through it all, may you be glorified. May you be honored as we live into your call in our lives.